<laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, my mind has been changed like 10 times this morning. Um, I have a quote, I will start off with that. Um, I wish we could just all be worshipers, but we can't stop there. We need to continue off of that. This quote is not us, but it starts out, it says, many men ship, make shipwreck of their faith by valuing God only for the things that he can give. That's not us. That's not where we're gonna stay. So anybody got an idea what this is up here? Uh, and every other day it would be. But today, it's, it's not a target either. Actually, it is a hula hoop, but I'm gonna use it as a scenario to describe our lives and our faith. So a lot of people, uh, the men that make shipwreck of their faith, think of their lives as all of this, and this is their faith. And they just use it when it's comfortable for them. They rely on it when it's, when it's convenient for them. And I wanna propose to you, I wanna challenge you, I want you to see bigger than that. I want you to see that it is well with our soul, our soul when we get into those shipwrecks. And, and when, you, when you meet Jesus, it changes everything. It changes your heart. My art project. Uh, this is a heart. It changes your heart. And all of a sudden this becomes your life and your faith is huge. It's bigger than for you, it's bigger, and you expect God to act, to work. You're looking forward, you're looking past, and, and your faith is everything. Now I'm gonna refer back to this a few times throughout, but I wanna just, I wanna keep it there as a, as a visual reference to what we're talking about. So today it's not a hula hoop. We're in this series named Wrecked, and it comes from, it's born out of uh, Paul's missionary journeys, but from when his, his life was wrecked. So we look at this trip to Rome, and I'll talk about it a little bit later on, and Chris introduced it last week, but there was another time more specifically when his life was wrecked, his life journey was wrecked, and his heart was changed. I think this is a good time to pray. Lord, we come to you again this morning, and we've just been in constant contact with you this morning, and we ask that you uh, direct us, open our hearts, speak through me. Lord, there's so much going on here, uh, but in the world also, and we get to be a part of your church. We ask your direction, your, your word, the power of your word to speak through us, uh, to move us, to not quit, but even to step out more boldly and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Now, when we talk about uh, being wrecked and, and Paul's shipwreck on the way to Rome, we talk about it meaning he, he was put off course, he was delayed, um, and a lot of times that's all we talk about. But being wrecked means, it could be meaning devastated, it could be meaning practically destroyed or ruined. And we wanna continue to work on this. In light of this, I think, the first time we'd see where Paul was wrecked, not his shipwrecked, but when his heart was wrecked was when he was on the road from uh, Jerusalem to Damascus. See, Paul was, his name was actually Saul at that time, and he was very religious. His training under Gamaliel, who was the synagogue ruler there, the, the priest, was the finest available. Nobody had a better training in the scriptures in the church than Paul. And Paul's intentions were good. His in, intentions were sincere. 
he was all in all the time. That was just the kind of guy he was. He was a good Pharisee and he knew the scriptures and he sincerely believed that this Christ follower movement, this Christian movement was dangerous to Judaism. And he was right. It was, it was really dangerous. You see Judaism, or the, at least the version that the Pharisees were teaching, was all about earning your salvation. It was all about works and following these rules. And the priests had their thumb on the people because of that. And Paul was in it, he knew it, he knew it well. And he went even so far as to persecute the people that were talking against it. Paul was on the road to get people in Damascus, take them back to uh, Jerusalem to be prosecuted. So let's pick it up in Acts verse chapter nine. And I'll just read this section to you. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, I mean, they were Christ followers, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. That's wrecked. Imagine you're leading this little group, this expedition, if you will, to go on a mission to, to get people that are teaching something different. And you're gonna pr persecute them. I mean, you're gonna badmouth them and treat them badly all the way and hand them off to be persecuted and prosecuted. But God didn't leave Paul in this state. Paul was overcome. All his hope based on his human effort was gone. I want that to sink in. All of his human effort, all of his hope in that was gone. I want you to think about that idea of being overcome. Not overwhelmed by your circumstances, but overcome by Jesus. Say, it is well with my soul and know it. I want you to think about this idea and all your efforts coming to nothing but, and then realizing you need him. At this point, Jesus had wrecked Paul by making him physically blind, but he could still hear the Lord clearly. And we all get that. We know that we can still hear the Lord if we're willing to listen to him. Even if we're blind and we can't see where we're going, we can still hear him and listen to him. Jesus changed the reason for his living. I want you to recognize that times of being wrecked are times, there are opportunities to refocus on God and to see what he's planned for you, times to hear him. So he didn't change the where, he didn't even change the what was going on. He's still in Damascus waiting for direction, but he's listening. He did change the why though. Let me explain. If we were to read all about Paul, I mean, it's, I'm gonna probably say this a couple of times, two thirds of the New Testament was writings of Paul. And that's gonna mean even more in a bit. But Paul was trained as a tent maker. He was trained heavily in the church and the synagogue. 
And that's what his life was about. That's the people he hung around with. That was his job. He was going to go tell people about God. And he didn't change that, but his why did. He was a good and sincere man, and he continued to do that. And he would continue on in this church work, and, and like I said, even tent making when it was necessary. But his heart changed. His why was wrecked and redirected. Now, not everybody has a big experience like that, but we all get wrecked. And Psalm 107 does a really good job of, of laying out like four different categories that I think we can all relate to. So I'm gonna read the first couple, seven verses, if you will, of Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in the desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached the city to dwell in. Now on the surface, it looks like these are just wanderers out there, but really the deeper meaning is people that are wandering in their way and they just can't find that peace that God offers in this relationship with him. So we have wanderers in Psalm 107 and they've called out to God in their distress and he relieves their distress. There's a principle, there's a pattern here and I want you to pick up on it. So if we go on to verse eight and we go down through Psalm 107 a little farther, we see that some sat in darkness in the shadows of death prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the word of God and they had spurned his counsel, but they were humbled and they came to him and they cried out to him and the Lord heard him and he delivered them from their distress. So wanderers were lost and they called out to him and he relieved them. Prisoners got there on their own. They were in this pile on their own but they called out to him and he relieved them from their distress. If we go on in 17, verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They were basically sick. They couldn't even eat, they were so ill. And it doesn't say that this was their fault, but it says they were sick. So I don't want you to pick up on that part of it. They called out to God though, and he relieved them from their distress. He doesn't say he healed them right away, but he took the peace, gave them peace through their, in their circumstances. He sent them out, he sent out word and he healed them and he delivered them from their destruction. So wanderers, prisoners, sick. And then the fourth category, these were businessmen basically out on the sea doing their business and they were glorying in God. They saw the mighty waters and they were high on them. Well, then uh, the waters got a little bit bigger and the storm hit them. And they're tossed by this storm and they too cry out to God. And in their distress, he answers. They mounted up to heaven, they went down into the depths and their courage melted away. But when they cried out, he delivered them from their distress. So we see a pattern of people all over the world in all different circumstances. They were wrecked of their own decisions. They were rebellious or they were on a wrong path or they were just some, you know, wrecked by the storms of life. So these three principles, one, cry out to God. 
we, we need to come to this understanding that anything we do without God is futile. And, and that begins with a broken and contrite heart. And David does a great job in the Psalms of, of giving us a picture of that. But I want you to think back of this broken and contrite heart. Think of Paul. He's blinded in all, in, in all of his strength, in all of his a-personality abilities. There's nothing. He's blind, and he is the one that was on the attack. So now he's the one that's vulnerable. And he just, he accepts this call from God. Or think about these wanderers or these sick, or we talk about people that we know, or maybe we're experiencing this, where we're being tossed by the storms of life. There's a humble contriteness that we need to start with and then come to God. That's the first point. The second one is that he's gonna relieve our distress. And I'll repeat this a few times through this message, but it doesn't mean your circumstances are going to change because he knows better than you know. He knows better than all of us what we know and what road we're on and where we need to head. But he will dis del deliver us from this distress. He may not change the what or the how, but he will change the why we do things. Um, I forgot, I skipped over this huge thing. Um, I as I was going through and reading Paul over and over again and things he did, I thought, what would have happened if he didn't, if he hardened his heart, if he didn't listen to God, if he didn't go on to Damascus and wait for the next directions? He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Uh, what about all the churches? That, and we're not gonna talk about all of them, but the three missionary journeys he went on, all the letters he wrote to specific people to address certain situations. And you think about the believers then, but here we are today because of what he did then. He was obedient. So that what if is huge, and I'm glad I didn't forget it. But today, what if you don't listen to God and you don't <laughs> hear him or wait patiently for the next step? Who's gonna miss out? All right, I think I got all that. Uh, so when you call out to him, he hears. Now, the big, this, this third point is, is so vague, and it's so vague because it's different for every single one of us. But this process of ministry and growth, in every one of these situations, and including Paul, there's a next step. You obey, you listen, you obey, and then he gives you further guidance. And, and it's a process, it's when our, ex, our faith is exercised. If you wanna talk about faith, it's like a muscle. You don't describe it as, a, as a, just an object. It's something that needs to be exercised. We begin to talk with hope. We begin to worship. We begin to pass on encouragement and we pursue God even more deeply. That's what this third step's about and this, that's what the rest of this message is gonna be about. But I wanna just pause for a second and, and talk about these two different episodes of Paul being wrecked and make a distinction between them. On the road to Damascus, it was to redirect Paul's salvation. He was a Pharisee, he was in church, he knew all the rules, he was following, he was enforcing them. But his why was wrong. Why was he in the church? What was he doing there? It, it was all wrong. He needed to be there for Jesus and we need to be there for Jesus. And this is why our why needs to be redirected. And I didn't know where I was gonna put this in here. But if you think about our path and you think about curbs on a road, 
Some people are so screwed up and wrecked that they're on the other side of the curb and they need to be brought back in. Some people hit the curb and that's enough to bring them back in. So their life doesn't look so bad. And other people, they're astute enough to see they're headed for the curb and they get back on and they listen to God, okay? This is but what's being wrecked. It's wrecked for everybody and it keeps on happening. So that first one for his salvation, it was his eternity. It's his whole why about life. But that physical wreck, that shipwreck, which was really nothing now when you look at it, it was almost kind of fun. You know, they're two weeks in the darkness, they're, you know, and they're throwing everything overboard. And I love reading it because Paul's standing up and saying, no, keep everybody on because God's told me they're gonna be all right. And they get on the island and then now I see it. You look back and you say, okay, God did that so that Paul would land on that, land, that island of pagans. You know, Rome's gonna wait. Court's gonna wait, but these people need to hear about Jesus. So he gets three months or so to minister to these people on this island of Malta. And, and I don't think it should just be his shipwreck. I think it should be called his fourth missionary journey. Uh, you know, he didn't go on purpose, but God redirected his, his wrecked episode. All right, so let's apply this to our lives. Growth and ministry, I wanna, we, we've gotta continue to push on this. This is our struggle. And there's a principle here, and Chris brought it up last week, uh, but it's actually in Acts 13, and I won't read it all, but we go from Acts 9 to this episode where he's changed on the road, his heart's changed, all the way forward to, uh, and this is fun too, uh, Jerusalem is, is south of Antioch in Syria. Well, there's another Antioch over in Cyprus, and his journey just happens to go through both of them. So he starts here and he ends over here. But before he starts, the church, the group there that he's with, the church, hears from the Holy Spirit and Paul and Barnabas are set apart. The Holy Spirit says, I've got this work for them to do. And they're commissioned, they're, they're set apart to go do this. And we need to be that same way. We need to be in communication with the Holy Spirit. And I said, Chris mentioned this principle last week. Well, when he talked about Bill Hybel's book, Walk Across the Room, before you go, you pray about it. Before you go talk to people, time about it, and you pray all the way through. And that principle is that we're gonna remain time. And he's gonna, when we say you know the words to say, it's because you're in com, com, communication with the Holy Spirit. So that's the first one. And then when we find those people, we serve them. That's the second big point. It's wide open though. Here again, it's individual. God is so creative and so big. You know, here's our life. Here's the faith and the work we've got to do. So I can't give you what you should do, and I'll tell you some things that work in my life or have I've seen God work in my life here in a little bit. So serve, but why do we do it? The Great Commission, we're commanded to do it, but that's not the way God works. I mean, he's, yes, for those of us that just have to be told, he tells us, but but, but God's thinking and his, his, his eternity, his plan is bigger than that. And, and it really, it comes down to joy. And there's a verse in 3 John, this letter, there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, not the Gospel John, but towards the end, right before Jude and Revelation. In 3rd John, it says in verse 3, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, to the way, to following Jesus. They were telling how you continue to walk in it. 
I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, I can read that verse, and I think about that from my children's point of view, and it does, it brings me joy. But the people that we tell Jesus about, the people that we share this gospel message with, the people that we've served out of a love for Jesus, when they begin to walk in it, it, it gives us joy. And that's not a selfish joy, it's a pure joy. And that's what I'm talking about with God. That's the way he does things, this pure joy. And it brings you joy. But you know what? If you, You've got to get out of yourself and, and know God. This brings him so much joy. The more you experience it, the more that you'll want to continue to grow in this. And the more you'll want to consider what brings God joy. And then what else you can do to bring joy. You get to be a part of what he's done for you and designed to bring you back in with him. I would encourage you, because I have been encouraged by this, but to read Jonathan Edwards. And this guy is so heavy, but um, his preaching and teaching was instrumental in what we have today as a constitution. Not what we do as a constitution, but we, what we were given as a constitution. And in the, he's got a writing, it's a dissertation on the end for which God created the world. So he spent a lot of time thinking about why God created us. And in it, he, he's exploring this idea, this understanding of the joy it brings God when we as his created beings worship him and then live in such a way as to encourage others to exercise their free will and to be with him daily. Isn't that our whole goal? I mean, that's what he's talking about in there and we get wrapped up in details and protocol and rules, but this is really what God's wanting is to us to be with him every day, to continue to grow and to know him more. I, as I read this and I've been reading it for a couple months now, this idea that God has so much for us that we can not only be astounded, I mean, we need to save words save words like that when we talk about God. Awesome is God, okay? But he's got so much for us that we can be astounded now through our whole life and eternity. He will continue to grow us, reveal to us, and keep us on the edge of our seat for eternity. Okay, that's why we do this. That's why we wanna go tell other people. That's why we wanna go serve him. This is a lame thing, but I just have to throw it in. Um, it's been said that there are five gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. you know, and people, people won't read, some people won't read those other four until they know there's something worth it in you. Okay, go do this stuff. All right. And I was gonna say, get off the rules, but I don't wanna say it that way. I want to, uh, when we come to church, I, I want this feeling of joy to tell other people about it. And we have order, we need order. But don't get caught up in the rules and don't get caught up in blaming somebody you know, or feeling guilty yourself about sin or failure because we all fail. So we're all in that same boat together. We're all gonna wreck together for that. But point your eyes to Jesus, not the rule list. Okay, Paul ate and he worked, he made tents and he traveled around and he told people, but, but that was his job. So I want you to think about what your work is. You know, what, what do you do for your life. You know, we all have um, strengths and we have uh, desires and goals and dreams and we have experiences. They all need to be aimed towards Jesus. They all need to be in, in line with his, his path for you, but they're gonna look different on how we relate to people. 
It means your plans are wrecked. It means that your selfishness is gonna slowly turn to selflessness. You become a worshiper. And I said earlier, I want us to all be able, I would, I would love to be just worshipers, but we can't stop there. We've gotta take that. And Jesus gave us that example of serving others. I mean, he is God and he's washing his disciples' feet. There is no better example of that. No matter how high we get, no matter what position, there will be service for us to render. Now, once we know Jesus, we've got to change our whole thinking. And um, I'm, I'm jumping a little bit here, but I, this is my way of doing it. We're image bearers. And when we understand image bearers, we think differently about our fellow, fellow people, um, even outside of this church. We're a spirit, actually. And I believe C.S. Lewis coined this, but we're a spirit with a body. So we start to think about other people as spirits made in the image of God, then we start to treat them much more godly and honoring. We're not bodies that are different colors, skin, black or white or red or brown. We're not Republican or Democrat. We're not capitalist or socialist. We're not valued based on our production, our strength, our health or our beauty. And that's a wonderful thing because we can go back, you know, these bodily distinctions are only how we get through life and it's where we're at and it's actually how we should be relating to people not dividing from people. So once we understand that we're an image bearer, we can start to talk with this hope in our, our voices in our, our th and then we become the witness. You've all been on the receiving end of somebody that was a witness before they were related to you, before they were in relationship with you and it can be offensive but God designed it to be the other way. We need to re relate with people. And what do we have to give them? 2 Corinthians 4, verses five and six. For what we preach is not ourselves. It's not these distinctions, these differences, but what we preach is Jesus Christ as Lord. And this is the part that we serve, ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. So we come in and we promote that. For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, he made the light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So he wants us to tell others, he gave us an example of what it looks like. And he gave us, he gives us the Holy Spirit, he gives us the words, the process to do it. All in that verse, which is kind of cool. So we have, all this training, this position, this place that we're at right now. And I wanna just talk about a few, um, you know, we all have, like I said, jobs, but we have coworkers that we spend a lot of time with. It ought to make a difference, the time that you spend with them. And it doesn't have to be in words at first, but at some point, if you're loving them and praying on them, they're gonna ask. It's gonna come up. You're gonna get a chance to respond and, and it, I don't even know how to say this. It's just, you do. Maybe they're having family problems and you give them a word of encouragement and they wanna know why you would be positive about this and saying, oh, you need to cut your losses and leave. You know, or why would you say, encourage them to be honest? Or, you know, there's something about you spending time with people. Uh, parents, we will continue to have a lot of messages on parenting, but you have the number one job in the world for creating disciples. You have the absolute 
strongest influence over a, another soul than anybody in the world. And God designed it that way. It's the first institution. Spend your time. You know what I, say, I said earlier about Paul being all in all the time? This is where parents need to be all in all the time with your kids. Pointing them to, not just spending time, but pointing them to Jesus. Neighbors. Paul ate with people. Eat with people. Bring them over or go, go out to eat or just talk with them. You know, go outside and spend some time with them. All of these things will, it will help. Um, I, was, I didn't even think about this when I was writing my message, but last night uh, we have a new neighbor and he's a pastor of another church in Pekin. And he came over and we were talking about the kids and they're going to be traveling. And he goes, hey, you're preaching tomorrow. I'll be praying for you. It's cool. You know, that's what we're all about is talking and encouraging each other. Um, education, our extracurriculars. I've gotten the chance, I think this is like 14 or 15 years now, I've coached at the JFL level, you know, football. And you get to see kids for two or three hours a night, you know, sometimes five, sometimes four nights a week. And you get to know a little bit about their family situations. And there are times, you know, they need a boost. And uh, you don't have to do that much. Just do what God set up for you. He's provided everything you need. He's provided the situation. And now he's just asking you to step out, you know, and there'll be a line where you don't want to go too far, but there'll be a line up to, and he'll take you there. Go with him. I have so many of these. Uh, parents, again, um, my, uh, my mom passed away three and a half years ago. And in, at, you know, in the past, my dad hasn't been vocal about his relationship with Jesus. He hasn't wanted to talk about politics or religion ever. And so I fast forward through all that. Uh, in, in March, he, he was remarried. And this lady has made a change in his life. Um, Jesus has made a change in his life through this lady. He's willing to talk about going to Bible study. He's talking about the beginnings of his relationship with Jesus. So it's never too late. And it may not be you, but you get to go along for the ride. So pray and be involved in all of this stuff. Uh, just, there's a few things. Um, I heard a commander, a SEAL um, leadership training commander the other day. And, and we got all through this and he's really good at motivating, but he said, you know, there are just some people you will do anything for. And he goes, I was trained to fight for any of my fellow you know, Americans and I will die for any woman. And he said, but below that, it's because of what Jesus has done for me. And you can get paid and you can get all the honor, but you quit giving at some point because it's gonna cost you too much unless you know that your life really isn't yours and you're willing to give it all. Okay. Uh, I'm in a social club, it's called Rotary, and some of you may have heard of it. And I'm not saying you have to go do this, but it's another place to relate with people and develop relationships. And I've been in there about 10 years now, a little over, and I've gotten chances to meet with other pastors and we get to talk, or I meet with people that are only there because they wanna sell you something. And I, you, know, you get to spend those relationships. And if, if, and I don't do this perfect, because I went there, my, the, my employer sent me there to do that, you know, so I was on that side for a while. But I have come to believe there's much more than that. And this organization, 1.2 million 
people in the world, 33,000 clubs. And, and you guys may not know what polio is because it's been eradicated from America for 50 years, but it's still alive and well where ISIS is because they won't let us in, but we keep trying. And we're working with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and we're just pouring money in to get people the vaccine and it's gonna be eradicated. But we get to serve them first. And when they see that and they ask why, the door is open to talk about Jesus. And Rotary may not be the guy, the, the, the way that, that it happens, but the people that go, go because that's what they wanna do. They wanna tell other people about Jesus. All right. I'm going to skip a few of these. And I'm gonna to jump to um, the, the gym or the exercise, uh, where, where I go to, to work out in the gym. Um, there's some guys there I've been going for about 15 years and some of them, uh, they, we just all show up there. We don't really work out together, we don't plan this, but we're there working out. And so occasionally we'll visit and we'll talk about what's going on in their lives or questions, you know, things, how things are going. and. Um, well, I invited them on Friday, and I don't think anybody's here, but uh, I, it, I was, uh, it was interesting because I just brought it up and said, you know, they knew I, we, we go to church here. And when I uh, started to tell them about the point of the message as being wrecked, and, I, and they weren't getting it, I'm like, okay, it, it's about me being vulnerable, being open, being uh, brought to a point where I'm willing to share the gospel with you, tell you about Jesus, what he's done in my life, and then encourage you to take part in this. And, uh, and they kind of hemmed and hawed for a few minutes, but then I was taken back. And I don't want to say disappointed, so I'll say taken back because they started to ask me, uh, what was I going to say about them? How was I going to portray them? It was all about them, see, um, because they're not hearing changed heart. They're hearing what they know about church in their past. They're hearing about rules. And, and that's, you know, flip it around, their faith is that little spot in their life and they just wanna keep it all there. So they're not willing to change their plans this morning. But I'm saying this hopefully because I walked out of the gym, not down, but praying for them because I don't know what God's got in store. And, and that's, the pressure's off at that point. So I'm not saying that as a proud way, but it's a relationship that's taken years and I may not ever get to see any fruit from it. That may be all on their own, they may not wanna ever share that. But it's okay, because it's, it's really not about me. I just get the joy and the peace in it. So in these relationships, we become witnesses. Remember when I said, when you meet Jesus, it takes a different direction, your life takes a different direction? Well, now it's time for you. It's time for our language to be filled with hope. We're gonna be devastated, we're gonna get wrecked. We gotta get through it. Let's talk about the hope. We get the promises. We have all of this Bible, this word that God's come to us. Nobody else gets that. They've got to look around and try to derive what's the best answer, what direction. God came to us. He came to us physically and in word, and he's given us the Holy Spirit. So our language needs to change. We need to tell people when the opportunity is right about our relationships and then have compassion. Compassion for the people in your world for their, their everlasting, for it to be changed. And lastly, I want you to be prepared to be wrecked again and again, to be brought back on this path that God has for you. You see, God is so much bigger than our lives and where we put him. He's more than just our provider. You know, we don't wanna wreck our faith by just hoping for him to provide for us. He designed us to be in relationship with him and with each other 
and that these relationships would glorify him. That's really the end result. That's what he wants. So let's talk about God. Let's talk about Jesus with a smile. It's not a burden. Let's pray. Lord, I have, uh, I continue to grow and I thank you so much for this pleasure of this being able to speak about you. I thank you for my family and our family and this church that we are anticipating a revival. We're anticipating the next step. And we're just asking that you will continue to make the way, keep us on your path following you, and to trust you wholeheartedly. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.